Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampkin. And my guest today is a Hall of Famer for the Washington Redskins. And he was also named one of the top 100 players to ever play the game of the, the football. Mr. Doug Green, thank you for joining me. Hey, James, it's great. It's great, man. We're coming to you live off of 95 South, just outside <laughs> of Petersburg, man. First of all, before we get into the conversation, let me first say thank you so much because I've been trying to get this done for years, and it's an honor for you to finally agree to do it. Well, you know who you better think. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my, 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 my youngest brother-in-law. Yeah, who's definitely, older than definitely. me? <laughs> definitely, I thank him, and I also, first of all, I got to thank God first, actually, because he 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 allowed us all to wake up. So I'm gonna thank him first, and then I'm gonna thank Mr. Greg. So I go with that. Go with that. Go with that. For sure. Yes, sir. How's your day been going so far? My day has been great, man. I spoke at a church down Rise Church. You said Rise Church. Uh. Me and, my, me and my son-in-law went down there to speak at this church and and uh, flew in there uh, yesterday. And then I'm riding back with my brother-in-law tonight. So good weekend. Good weekend. Okay. Well, let's start with my introduction. I said you was – not only were you in the Hall of Fame, but you were one of the top 100 players, which means you got the burgundy jacket. So what is it like to know you were one of the 100 best players that ever played a game of football? Uh, I mean, all that stuff about the awards and the recognitions are always, you know, they're neat. I mean, I'm, that ain't kind of how I lived my life, but you know, you worked hard to try to provide for your family and the job you had and, you know, they give you accolades and you end up being, when, when the dust is clear, you, you find that when they add it all up, you're, you're somewhere versus other people. And that's always, I think, you know, it's always an honor. It's not kind of why I, why I did the job, but certainly helps, you know, and I, and I appreciate it now because I'm able to use, I'm able to use what I call the influence and the resources and the access that, that type of visibility, uh, that type of recognition, that type of celebration provides me. I just try to parlay it into helping other people. You said you didn't play the game for accolades. What did you play the game for? Play the game for bye bye for my family. When I got out of college, that was the job I took, and so I played it for for what it provided for my family. What age did you first get introduced to playing football? Uh, well, I played football as a little boy. I always tackled on the grass, touch on the street, but I played what's called organized football primarily in the eleventh grade. Uh, in Houston, Texas. Uh, I was on the JV that year. Decided to try to see could I make varsity the next year, which I did. And uh, went to college. I didn't get a scholarship, you know, after being small and one-year varsity. But uh, <clears throat> I did play in my freshman year at this university. But I, interestingly enough or painfully enough, I ended up dropping off, dropping out after the last game with no grades. Uh, my best, one of my best friends went to college with me, didn't play football. He got killed in a car wreck that I was supposed to be in. So I was pretty messed up mentally with that. So I dropped out for a year and a half and I went to community college. I drove a furniture truck in Houston. And uh, a year and a half later, I actually, 
uh, reached out to the school again. I was going to go back to school and then try out again. They had a new coach and he let me try out. And uh, three years later, I was drafted. What school? What school? What school was this? The school is called Texas A and M Kingsville today, but it was called Texas A and I back when I played there. That's Kingsville, Texas. Okay. At any point during that year and a half that you wasn't playing football, did you think your dream of playing football in the NFL was over? No, because I didn't have a dream of playing football. I never thought about it. Um, <laughs> I wasn't dreaming of playing football. I just played football when I could. But, no, I was thinking about, you know, you know, my life. You know, I'm out of school. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to. You know, I got to overcome my friend being killed in a car I was supposed to be in. I'm, I was living more life, trying to figure out life, and not my life wasn't wrapped up around football. And then once I went back to the school, I tried out again, and I got into football, focused, refocused in that. And um, I never planned to be a pro football player, mm-hmm. uh, but but uh, I think in that time, as as I'm sixty three, I born in eighteen sixty. We were always taught, you know, if you're cleaning the toilet or sweeping the floor or playing football to try to do your best. So I just think that some of the basics of just kind of how I approach life, if I was going to run track, clean the house, clean the bathroom, whatever the case may be, then I was going to try to be the best. And the NFL was looking for the best. So they came down to small Kingsville, NAI. Uh, and then NCAA Division Two after my junior and senior year. And they were looking for tunas that taste good, as Starkist says. So <laughs> that's what they saw. And it went in, went from there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up a little bit because you mentioned your, your best friend's death. And, uh, for, and, and, and my condolences on that. And you were supposed to be in the car. Um how did you, because that was such a painful thing, how did you actually overcome it? Um, it was very painful. Uh, this kid was Cornell Green. In my yearbook, I'm next to him. And my next best friend was Clem Greenwood. Wow. We were all in Mr. Guarantee's class at Bastion Elementary School in the sixth grade when my parents got divorced and I moved to that area. So we were best friends all the way through high school, and we were in the same homeroom as G last names. And that was very, you know, painful because I was a homesick kid. It was a five-hour drive home. The car wasn't his. He was got a, he got a ride from another kid from another school. And I was just really – I was really saying a lot of bad things uh, when they ended up leaving me until Monday when I heard the question, did y'all hear about that car wreck? So it was a tough time. That was a tough time for me. My mom kind of nursed me back. And I think in that next semester, which would have been the spring, uh, and then, uh, then uh, let's see. So, okay, wait a minute. That wouldn't have been the spring. That would have been the summer. And then uh, I didn't do anything in the summer, but just stayed home. And then in the spring, I got a job. And then the next fall, I got it. I uh, I went to community college and took twelve hours. Then the next spring, I went to went back to college. Okay, if I said that correct, yeah. Okay, but yeah, it was just a time. It was time, you know, two a year and a half to just heal my wounds. I did not understand, you know, and back then, you know, people didn't 
respect the idea of, you know, you know, having people having mental issues and dealing with psychology and that stuff that was kind of looked down upon uh, as opposed to now, thank God, you know, mental health is something that and people having emotional issues is something that is a part of human life and it shouldn't be looked down upon. People should, you know, if you need help, call somebody, you know, so, but I didn't get any of that, but, you know, I thought about it, you know, cause I work in the youth world now dealing with children, uh, young people dealing with suicide and mental health and all that. And now I understand the value of, of those professionals that serve that community. It's obvious you have a relationship with God now. What was your relationship with God at that time? When I went back a year and a half later, that's when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Prior to that, I did not. So that made it even worse. <clears throat> so, yeah, when I went back to college, I gave my life to Jesus Christ at, at school. And that, that really is part of really who I really am today. How'd you make the decision to give your life to Christ? <clears throat> One of the trainers invited me to a Bible study. The Bible says the gospel is the power unto salvation for those that are perishing. And Romans says that there's none righteous, not even one. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all sinners. And Jesus came, Peter preached about that in Acts 2, Acts 3. <clears throat> uh, Acts 2, when he, he told a gospel story at the day of Pentecost. And, and we realized, as they did, that when they heard the truth, those whose hearts were sincere and pure, the Bible says that were cut in their hearts. And, and they were looking for what's the answer? What can we do? And thanks be to God. And I got down on my knees in the same way. And I asked God to forgive me for my sins. I wanted to live for him. I did not know about him. I did not know how to live prior to knowing through his word who he was. So that changed my life, giving my heart to God. And next thing I know, I was in Washington, D.C., met my pastor, continued to follow the same discipleship process, and learned how to live for God. <clears throat> learned how to hear his voice. Learned how to, when he said, don't go to another team, learned how to say, yes, sir. Learned how to be faithful and godly to my wife for 38 years. Learned how to serve my community. Learned how to tell people about Jesus. So that's everything. Football is not everything. My salvation is everything. Wow. That's my story, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> do, you, what do, you, what, do people ever look at you funny when you say, when you make statements like that? And the reason I ask that question is because, again, you're so accomplished. You've like when you look at any player that's ever played football, you could put your resume up against anybody, but yet you lead with your man of God, and and it's and everything you say gives the gives makes me know that God is the head of your life. And football was great to you, but it's the salvation of God and Jesus Christ that means the most to you. One of the most exciting things for me being a person who, matter of fact, my team, the commanders now, I think I've agreed to come to the game next week and I celebrate the fact that I've been in Washington for 40 years. I got drafted 40 years ago. And I appreciate them for that. I think that's pretty neat. 
<clears throat> but the reality is that I think that you know, Acts one says that you'll be you'll be my witness. When the Holy Spirit comes, you'll be a witness. So I've been a witness for Jesus Christ. I've been showing my gratitude and thanksgiving and appreciation uh, with excitement and joy uh, for forty years. And thank God that, in in many ways, the whole world know. Anybody that's seen me, the nation knows, the community knows. I'm grateful for that. I'm, I'm I'm excited about that because it brings God glory. But that's that's how that's how we should live. That's how everybody everybody to go to your church. If you don't know that they love Jesus Christ, if you work in the same building they work in, you've been working there for 20, 30 years with them, and you don't know that they love Jesus Christ, then that's the tragedy. But by the grace of God for me. A lot of people, I'm not going to tell you everybody, but a lot of people heard local and national that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. And I count that a privilege, not only a privilege, but a responsibility to to present, you know, to preach, to proclaim uh, that truth. Because that's what the Great Commission in Matthew 28 was, to go and tell them everywhere. And God said, I'll be with you. And go make disciples of men and women, teaching them whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you. So to live the gospel, it should be a reasonable service. The Bible talks about committing your, uh, presenting your body, body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. There's some basic, just simple, reasonable, elementary way uh you know way about our lives as christians that we should live and it whether you're a truck driver or a pro football player or a school teacher or a principal or a doctor or a lawyer if you love jesus christ then everybody you know to a certain extent should know at least have the chance to hear about the gospel of jesus christ so that's a simple part of what I think is uh, what I matter of fact shared about today at the church okay. <laughs> that that that's a bad deal that is that that isn't the truth and people I was talking about this to some other people about the, the, the country has been in an uproar of racism and hatred and you know on all colors and sides of those of that group a lot of those people were in church that next day and they're in church every day and every Sunday or whatever. But yet they can out there and hurting each other. No matter, and I'm talking about everybody, but yet they would go and lift up some kind of hands that they call hands to God. But yet, and the scripture says that how can you say you love God who you haven't seen, but yet hate your brother who you do see. Mm. So it's a really tragic, really tragic reality. <laughs> but I've been fortunate to know him you know as a young person and to learn how to navigate uh, the opportunities that I get to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a way that hopefully uh, has been palatable people can bite it swallow it chew it digest it and many people have come into into the kingdom that I've been a privilege to experience with so that's pretty good.
Have you ever thought about what your, what your life would be like if you didn't give it to Christ? Oh, yeah, of course. I would be uh I would be what I came from. I would be a homemonger. I would be ungodly. I would be a liar. Uh, I wouldn't be faithful to my wife for 38 years. I wouldn't have raised a godly children. Yeah. All of the above. You mentioned your family, mentioned 38 years of marriage. And I I think you can understand it. It seems like marriage is under attack and family is under attack. What do you think the biggest reason for that is today? Well, um, when you talk about every, people being under attack, well, Satan hates God. The enemy hates God, and God is, is good. He is righteous. And uh, he certainly wants to attack God's righteous ones. But a lot of times, people uh, are on the dark side. Anyway, they say, well, you know, he's attacking me. Well, you actually are living in the dark side anyway. You are on that team. Everybody's being attacked is not people that's in the light and in the darkness is attacking them. They're actually in the darkness because their lives, you know, are not being in alignment with God's word. So some people are just really so. But then certainly without a shadow of a doubt praying for our good friend today in Myrtle Beach who loves God and is definitely under attack in the things that they're doing uh, in, in, you know, in such a way that's advancing the kingdom. But yeah, um, you know, some people are just reaping what they sow. You know, you, you know, some people, let's say they get married and they don't love Jesus. He don't, she don't. And then things go bad. Well, uh, if they both enter into the kingdom, now they're both in the light, and what was done in the past is covered by the blood, then they can start over and be new. The old is gone. Behold, now we both become new. And I can just tell you that I had a child out of wedlock, but I was in the dark. And she was in the dark. Hmm. When I found out she was pregnant, I had be become a Christian. And I told her, I said, look, I want to tell you, please, let's not, let's make sure we have our kid. But as I don't see us getting married. The guy that you knew, he's, he's dead. I'm not even him anymore. I eventually led that girl to the Lord, that young, that lady. And my daughter and now who's married. Has done great, five children and doing great. And that young lady is loves God, her mother, and me and my wife love God. But we were something in the dark when we were living in the dark. We reaped behavior, we activated behavior that was ungodly. But we love our daughter and she's great. But we were, we were, you know, we were living in such a way that did not honor God. But we ultimately, God blessed us. You know, blessed us with that child and blessed us to both know who he is and the, and then the certainty to keep a friendship to raise our kid. Okay. 
So, you know, a lot of times people just, you know, they see a lot of things going on, but man, if you're not in a line, you know, it's like, for example, a little boy run up to my door or my car when I put him in the driveway and he says, dad, dad, he lives down the street. Well, hey, I'm not your dad, but what if I adopted that boy? Next year, something happened in this family, we adopted him. Then he run up to the car and he's my son. So the Bible says that <clears throat> for as many as believe in John 1, he gives us the right to become sons of God, children of God. Other than that, that's a creation of God. The creation is waiting eagerly for the sons of God to be revealed. They want to see God and then must see when they see him and know him and receive him, they can become his children. So I went from a created being to a son. Sometimes you remain just a created being, but you want sonship and son benefits. And it doesn't work. I'm a transition back to the field. Um you said you got drafted 1982, correct? No, I got drafted in 1983. Oh, 83. I'm sorry. How did? At what point did you? So you said the colleges were coming. Did you? Did was that the first time you started to think? You know what? I actually could make it to the NFL. Well, by the time I was a senior, yeah. I mean, I I knew that I was going to get drafted, and I I never not at that point. I never thought I couldn't compete at that level. I mean, I. You know, I wasn't some kind of guy just beating my chest, but I was—I knew what I could do. I knew I could cover. I knew I could run. Things. I knew I could run. I knew, you know, I knew I, I had some skills and qualities that I had been developed that I was, you know, I was pretty confident in. Not in some kind of arrogant way, but in a sober way. I, I was, I wasn't, I wasn't worrying about it. But yeah, they, I mean, they, the word got out back to me. Should I say that I would? I would have a chance to be in the NFL one way or the other. Did did any did any of those scouts talk about like you coming from a, a small school saying, oh, maybe because he went to a small school, he can't play on the big stage or that never was an issue? Well, I mean, they didn't say that to me, but they didn't draft me <laughs> until the last pick in the first round. So they were saying it anyway. 27 other teams didn't pick me that could have in that first round. So, yeah. They didn't say it, but they their words or their actions, I guess, on some levels. I mean, every team didn't need a cornerback, so I can't say all of them. But the ones who did, there's probably four or five corners got drafted ahead of me. So they said it, that maybe they were saying it, hey, he's whatever, whatever. But that wasn't an issue. I mean, that's not my issue. That was their issue. What was the feeling for you when you got drafted? Oh, it was a you know gratitude, a gratitude, appreciation, and then a thrill, excitement. Yeah, it was great. It was really great. Was there a team that you specifically wanted to go to, or it was just whoever took you? Yeah, I wanted to go geographically, not a team, but I wanted to be. Um, I wanted to be in Florida because I was a little bit closer to Texas. I didn't want Houston, I didn't want Dallas, and I didn't want New Orleans. Because of the turf. So uh, the next thing would have been grass. I wanted to be on grass. So Tampa would have been the next. And uh, Miami would have been next for me. So those only two that I thought. And not because I loved the teams. I didn't care what the team was. I was thinking more about geographics and grass. Why grass? I'm, that, that's, <laughs> that was a very interesting answer. <laughs> 
Well, because you, my feet, if I played 20 years on turf, what do you think would have happened? If I was mm. in Dallas, if I was in New Orleans, if I was in Houston, back then, before you was born, that that turf was, was like cement. Oh, I remember the Astrodome. I remember. <clears throat> yeah, so therefore, uh, I, I did not think that that would be very, you know, advantageous for me because my position was a cover corner where I'm going where I don't know where I'm going. And so these my footwork has to be instantaneous. And yeah, that was, that was, so that was my two issues. Geographics, well, turf, grass and geographics. And that, that led me to Tampa and Miami as my first choices. Okay. But it ended up being Washington, <laughs> which was a blessing. Which I met my wife here, and we had grass. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't even have the wife in there. So I got that, and I got grass. <laughs> and, and you know, in twenty years, twenty years of minimally eight. Well, probably minimally, well, minimally eight, and maybe ten to twelve games on grass. That's a good deal. Uh, twenty for twenty years, yeah. Wow, you know what? I'm gonna ask you a question since you since you mentioned the turf and the grass, and we always hear the horror stories. The Veterans Stadium, Philadelphia. What was it like playing on that turf? Philadelphia, Dallas, all those turfs were like cement, and they hurt and injured a lot of a lot of guys. So no, those things were that was that was very you know that not only did it hurt your feet. It burnt your skin off your arms. It took out a lot of knees. A lot of guys to this day probably got, you know, new re knee replacements because of that crap. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. The receivers had an advantage on that stuff, you know. Did that it was just tough. It was tough. When you, when you, because you, because it's so, it was so entrenched in your mind. Um, did you ever feel like the, the wide receivers had an advantage because you just did not like turf? No, I never played a game thinking they had an advantage. I'm oh, just okay. telling you that. <laughs> no, <laughs> guys, jump me. No, I never, I never approached, approached the game that way. Uh, I, and I would never dare say, Somebody beat me because it was on turf. Oh, uh, don't don't man. don't get it wrong in that sense, but <clears throat> but those turf that turf back then was it was horrendous, and uh, and and they had to play on it as well, and and their knees blew out too. But you know, thank God they got a, I think some very you know awesome turf now that that would have been really you know good. But for me, I, I mean, it didn't matter to me. I played in RFK Stadium at FedEx Field, and and uh, mit, mit, you know multiple away games that had grass per year. So, you know, if you played eight games at home and four on grass, that's 12 games. Yeah. And just four four on turf or whatever the case may be. Yep, yep. How, would you, case. Yeah. how would you describe your rookie year 83? How would I describe it? Yes. Uh, I mean, it was a great year. I mean, it was a fun year. I'm just getting getting there. So we go to the Super Bowl. Um, I started first game, and 
probably every game. And it, yeah, it was, this team was a Super Bowl champion previous year. Went back to back when I came. Uh, and I met my wife. I mean, what else can you get? I met my pastor <laughs> and my wife. And my team went to the Super Bowl. How do I describe it? Uh, awesome. Now, that that play you made um, when you chased down Eric Dickerson, I'm pretty sure that was your rookie year, correct? No, that was uh, – actually, no, I don't know. Maybe my second year. I don't think that was the first year. But was that yeah, the, definitely wasn't the first year. But was but was it that the play that like put you in the national spotlight, or am I mistaken? Well, the first year and the first game I played, do you know what game that was? No, no. I was that was the Cowboys. Do you know the running back of the Cowboys? Well, I'm assuming. All right, well, let me interview you. Let me switch this to them interviewing you. So, oh, that, I'm sure that was Tony when I'm, started playing. I'm, you know what? Okay, and that's who it was. Tony <laughs> no, Dorsett. no, let me. Yeah, so that's Tony who you chased yeah. down. You, that's where I messed yeah, up. Yeah, you, you close. You were close. You were close. Uh, no, you close. no, you chased you. down Tony Dorsett at RFK Stadium. You absolutely right. I remember. There you go. There you yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was giving you a headache. Yeah, yeah. You were close. You were close. But but that was that was the play that put you in the spotlight, though, right? Well, I mean, it was my first game, and and it was a Monday night game against the Super Bowl champion in the in the NC. Uh, I'm sorry, the NFC runner up previous year. So it was a big game. It was a big rival game back then. It was a big rival, and so yeah, I was the only new new kid on the uh, new player, I guess, on the field. So I mean, I, I mean, I think it's obviously put me on the. It was it was the spotlight, you know. It, it was a spotlight, uh, and it's and it, to the to that point, I think my son said this before that, um, you know, not many guys have a uh, a seminal play like that in their first game that lasts forty years. Yeah. So that was that was yeah that that was that was pretty interesting. Yeah, that play is still – it still gets played till this day. Like, that was unbelievable. Like, the speed that you showed to catch him was amazing. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll digress. I'll digress and say to everybody's uh, surprise, maybe. One of my best friends in the world is Tony Dorsett. Really? I'm going to be with him next week. I've been with him a couple weeks ago. I, I do youth youth work around the country as well. Uh, and so I take a lot of Hall of Famers. Legends on Core Partners is my company. We take a lot of legends around. And uh, we just got back from Petersburg, matter of fact, last week. And we're in New Mexico. We're everywhere. But we spend a lot of time around the country working with 13 to 18-year-olds. And uh, the great legend, Tony Dorsett, is one of my good partners that travels with me. And to that point, I only became spotlighted because I was standing on his great shoulders. So I don't belittle him at all in that because if I would have caught you, probably wouldn't have been as celebrated. Or <laughs> <laughs> oh, then I say my brother-in-law. I won't say you. I call my brother-in-law Greg. It wouldn't have been as, you know, I wouldn't have been as highlighted. But yeah, Tony is a good friend of mine, and I watched him when I was younger in high school and college, should I say? And and uh, and to, to run run him down was an honor, but I do not 
uh, it does not take away from my respect for him. Oh, definitely. When is because we always hear like, especially at your position, like you have to be like cocky and arrogant and had this sense of bravado, but you're nothing like that. But yet you've been one of the best players to ever suit up. So how how do you maintain that humility? How do I maintain the humility? At, yeah, even back then and yeah. even till now. Because like <laughs> I said, it's your position that you almost have to be like. Why you say that? You, why, you're just saying that. I don't know where you get that from. I just have yeah. to be confident. I have to be prepared. I have to be ready to compete. That's all I have to be. I don't have to hate anybody, beat my chest, you know, uh, you know, hold my privates. I, I don't have to do any of that. <laughs> I just have to compete. Okay, I'm just let competing. me. Okay, let me let me not let me change the let me change the the words. Not have to, but we look at the we look at the 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 history of the cornerbacks. You look at Dion, and I'm not saying he didn't work hard because of course he did. You look at Dion. You look at um. D, well, Champ Bailey was was more the lines of you. He was pretty quiet. Yeah. So, Champ Bailey was my disciple. <laughs> but oh, his, but his own his character was that way too. I think at the end of the day, you know, when guys are beating their chest and screaming about themselves, you know, that's that's what that's who they are. That's what they are, and they have a need for something. Then that I don't think I had a need for it. I I was I was already affirmed. I was affirmed by God, affirmed by my parents, my affirmed by my my wife and my family. I don't need to be affirmed by them. I'm actually playing this game because it's a job, and I'm trying to be successful. And the truth of the matter is, I actually liked the guys that I played against, and a lot of them became my friends. Guys, you may not remember Roy Green, Mike. I remember him. Tony yeah, Hill, Urban Fryer, Michael Irvins, Jerry Rice, different guys. These guys became my friends. And the same guys that I walked, played football with, touch on the street and tackled on the grass as a child, and we got into fights. We broke up the fights and we walked home together or we walked home from school or we walked to school together. That's The game has always been a childhood game to me. I approached it that way. I competed hard against my brothers. But they were my brothers when I was a little boy. I competed hard against my friends, but they were my friends. I competed hard against these guys in the pros, and I considered them my friends. I didn't, you know, we used terms like metaphors, like we're going to war. Trust me. Ask one of these guys that been to Iraq or somewhere what war really is. So it's not war. But it, all of this is part of the, you know, it's part of the the thing that makes up sports and I'm not against that I, I like that it's you know cheerleaders and slogans and you know all these fun things that happen I'm not I'm not a you know party pooper but it just wasn't a part of my makeup you know I just really wanted to compete with my skills and see can I compete against you I'm five eight and three quarters you're six foot two two hundred pounds <laughs> can I compete with you Randy Marsh, you're six foot four. Can I compete with you? Mike Irvin, you're six two, two hundred. I I think the challenge was enough fun than to have to try to try to suck something else out of people to respond to me. I either did it or I didn't. And I'm gonna celebrate and have fun 
win or lose. We're going to dinner if we lost. We're going to dinner if we won. Mm. So I think that I just had a good balance in it. And then really, if you think about it, and I've thought about it a little bit, I wonder how did I play 20 years and most guys didn't get to play 20 years. Maybe they should think about I had never thought about it so much, but maybe you can do it that way. You just approach it as for what it is, have fun, work hard, show up, and take your behind home. Cut the yard, ride bikes with your kids, take your wife to dinner, and then come back tomorrow. Do it again. That may not be as sexy as people want it to be. May not sell as many cars and shoes, but that's the way I lived it. And it's probably why I wasn't on commercials every day. <laughs> <laughs> Even Tenshiro wouldn't give me a commercial. When I sell, and I, I probably brought more attention to Tenshiro than anything they've ever done. And they didn't give me a celebrate uh, a, a commercial. But you know what? It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Now you you've mentioned your wife you've mentioned your wife a couple times and I have to ask how did you meet her? I met her on a Christmas Eve, my rookie year. Her brother, Rudy Fenner, not the one I'm riding with, Greg. He said he wouldn't have let me meet her, but I met her <laughs> with my brother-in-law, Rudy. <clears throat> they were shopping for Christmas, and I was jacking around in the mall with my buddy because I was homesick and just had to get out the house, but. We met and all went to dinner that night at Houston's, a restaurant called Houston's in Georgetown. And uh, just got to know her and we got engaged in about six months and got married. That's that. Wow, you was engaged. That's my story. Wow, yeah. six months. Wow. <laughs> you knew quick. <laughs> I knew, I definitely knew quick, but I also knew when I was 10 years old what I wanted to be, even though I couldn't execute on it. I knew I wanted to be a great husband and a great dad when my parents got divorced. That was my life's dream. That's what I wanted to be. Now, what I want to do, I still don't know what I want to do. I've done a lot. But what I wanted to be, I'm gonna, I've am gonna. i been being, and I'm going to be that till I die. So I won't be retiring from that. I'll die from that. Wow. But when I was 10, I knew I, I knew I wanted to be a great husband and a dad. So when I met her, I believe she loved Jesus. I believe her family was a family that I could identify with. So I wasn't waiting on anything. That said, a man, man, let's go. Now you said, you said you said your parents divorced when you were ten. Yeah, yeah. So that that was what motivated you to be a be a great husband and a great father. The day I heard they were getting divorced is the day that God put in my heart that that was what I wanted. That I was going to be that. That was going to be my life's dream to go and do do what wasn't done in the generations past, both my parents and their parents. Wow. And again, like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't the greatest on the front end, but when I got married, got born, gave my life to Jesus and then got married. And that vision really, I, God. and after 38 years, can't nobody tell me nothing. Wow. I, <laughs> it's definitely, that's my heart. That's what I want to do. That's what we're doing. Wow. Wow. <laughs> 38. What would you, what, what, 38 years? First of all, congratulations, especially, you know, in this day and age, you know, marriage is facing so many challenges. What would you say the key component is to keeping a marriage together for that long? <clears throat> the first thing to keeping a marriage together is before you get married. 
Mary. Who is she and who are you in your relationship to God? Biblically, Adam was with God for some period of time and there was no Eve. I don't know what the time was. Eve was with God without Adam. I don't know what that time was. But I know one thing that the the relationship between Adam and God was secure and the relationship between Eve and God was secure. And then when they came to each other, they had the relationship with God right. So then therefore they could have a relationship together right. So the first thing I'll tell you is the person, the individuals need to have a relationship with the Lord outside of anything and anyone else. Then that is in line. Then now you'll have a shot because that will govern you. God the Father will govern you. It's like a, a righteous man, righteous son following his righteous mom and dad. So <clears throat> once you got that part right, if you don't have that part right, you just as a gamble. It's a gamble. It's a, probably a losing gamble. Mm. About 99.999%. So if you can be right with God first, then you can be right with one another because the spirit of the Lord and the word of God governs this relationship. So the first thing is that is before that, before you get married, then once you get married and now you have, you have governance, you have a vision that's in line with God. The, the sons of God are led by the spirit of God. So you want to follow God in that. So I, I didn't go to play for another team because God told me not to. Wow. After the strike, you know, after the strike and the free agency came, I didn't get to participate in that because God told me not to do that. Wow. So, and he backed it up by his grace and mercy and let me get, you know, 10, 12, 15 years longer, you know, probably 18 years longer than the average guy plays. Wow. So, so yeah, that's the first thing to it, you know. And then once you start having kids, you got to tell your children about the past, the good, bad, and the ugly. Tell them and then tell them who you used to be, who you are today, and where you're going to go tomorrow. And where, where you go tomorrow, that's where you recruit them in to say, hey, you see where we've come from. You see where we are. You see where we want to go. Will y'all go and take us there? And then you tell your kids that, and so now they're part of it. They understand what grandma and grandpa were, good or bad. You tell them everything, but you love them. You tell them what you and your wife were, what you were. And then you tell them what you're going to be tomorrow and, and that they're going to be the one take you into tomorrow. And you ask them to respond to the, to the call and the challenge. That's about, that's how you change the generations. So that's how my son, a faithful man, never slept with a girl till he got married. Coming from me, who had a child out of wedlock, and my daddy, who never knew his daddy, had a child out of wedlock. And I don't know what my dad's dad was. So that's how you do that. Is it a hard discussion to have with your kids, like the shortcomings in life? No, no, no. It's an important and exciting discussion to have with your kids. Because you're grateful because you, you know, it's not, it's not, there's no condemnation. 
the Bible says that it's not condemnation, it's excitement. It's thanking God that we are no longer what we used to be. That we're, we're the old is gone, and behold, all things become new. We're new, we're new creation, we're new people, we're new family. We're on our way to victory. No, it's a fun and exciting. You know, it's not celebrating some of the bad, but it's also, it's definitely uh, celebrating the fact that you have overcome and that you're going forward. Mm. You mentioned Richmond, your- Virginia, my man, Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> you mentioned your, you mentioned your son, you mentioned your family. Um, at one point, your son wanted to play football. How did you feel about that? I never wanted my son to play football and kept him out of it as long as I could. Wow. So he did play in the ninth grade and he played at UVA and he played at University of Virginia, uh, UV, University of Virginia and he bounced around about three years in the NFL and then he just said, I quit. And I was glad for that. So Why no, didn't, didn't want you want him to play? play? Same reason my mom didn't want me to play because I don't want nobody to hurt my baby. Oh. Yeah. Now, a lot of parents have lost that. They, they, they kid ain't even their baby no more. Their kid is a football player. I meet a lot of parents that say, hey, this is my son. He plays football. Well, I mean, you, hey, can you talk to me about your son? My son is my baby. I don't want nobody to knock his head off. So that's the way I saw it. That's the way my mama saw it. I didn't play to the left. Well, I wasn't going to play anyway because I was scared. But when I did try to play, she didn't want me to play, and I kind of had to talk her into playing. But that was kind of that was my philosophy about it, and, and I, we don't want any of our grandkids to play. But that's just us. We're not belittling football or anybody that do. Mm-hmm. That's just us. That's our prerogative. Well, how did he convince you to let him play? Oh my gosh, the the coach, him. <laughs> they just caught me in a different moment, and also <laughs> I made sure that at that time I could get over there every day. So you know, I had to have the time. Can I get out to the practice? You know, I have to bust somebody in the head if they hurt myself. <laughs> 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 but uh, it worked out for him. He he did. I thought it was great, and I was so glad because he got to UVA and met his wife. So it worked out. I was grateful. Okay. And he got out. He quit. He didn't get cut. He quit. So I was happy about that. It's it, it, it's it's really weird to hear you say that you was happy he didn't play, but when you explain it. It, it makes total sense. And it's also good to hear, like, especially especially as a man talking about his son, it's really refreshing to hear the love that you had. That you even refer to him as, like, your your baby, which is good because you're his protector. So that it's a great thing to hear. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. You know, you know, unfortunately, you know, the world does such a great job of, you know, the whole world is is, is driven by commercial, you know, advertising and, and messaging, you know, telling us what they want us to know, you know, hear and do. And, you know, I think, you know, it's, you know, that's a mistake. That's a mistake uh, for a lot of parents and adults. And, you know, you can, you can be talked right into destruction of your family, you know, through these things. And And I'm talking, you're talking about a guy that played 20 years in the hall of fame. So I'm grateful. And I'm not belittling anybody that the kids play and all that good stuff, you know, you know, um, 
I appreciate football, the NFL, and 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 you know all of all of the above. But I'm also a daddy and a human, you know, and I've got my own thoughts about stuff. And if my grandkids did play, I'm not gonna disown them, you know. <laughs> so, uh, 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 but that's just what I believed, and it don't. It just mean that for me and my children, I didn't want them to play because I had experienced that. And my mom, same with me. So, but uh, I still appreciate all sports, football certainly included. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it, it's to each his own. Uh, but that's that, yeah. You've accomplished so much on the field, off the field. Um Burgundy jacket, which made you one of the 100 greatest players to play, but even bigger, you 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 created a beautiful family, had a long lasting marriage, 38 years. What would you say the proudest moment of your life is so far? Oh my gosh, you be asking all these crazy questions. Proudest <laughs> <laughs> moment of my life. I'm 63 years old, man. I've gave my life to Jesus. I got married. I was born. My mom and dad loved us. We had children. I, I you, it, we just got so many great things. And uh, yeah, I mean, I got married and been faithfully married. You know, my my children are married, and faithful people, and they had children. They brought us a gift. Uh, yeah, so I've got so many things I'm, I'm grateful for. Uh, yeah, I can't even count them all. <laughs> yeah, I'm going I'm to close with this. You Again, you've accomplished so much. What is the, what's the, the thing that you haven't accomplished that you're looking to accomplish? Even at 63, because the Lord haven't called you home yet, so it's still work to do. <clears throat> well, my goal is to just really be able to share the gospel with more people. You know, just people are hurting, struggling, and and, and they don't know. You know, <clears throat> um, to be able to be more effective. But the, the one of the things I like to do, because my son-in-law is a campus minister, Jared, of course, is a minister. My son, uh, I like to see us collaborate together as you know, as a family and take the foolishness of my 20-year career and the influence that we have and resources and access uh, and, you know, all of the unique gifts and talents that we have and be able to collectively reach the loss and be a benefit to, to people. Take the foolish things of this world to benefit people in both physical and spiritual ways and any other ways that we can, that would be, that would be my life dream. If we could do that collectively as a family, that would be really neat. Uh, and then, you know, my son and I've gone on missions trips and our family have done a lot of things together, but I, I like to see that at a higher level uh, because it's just so many people in desperate need of, God's truth and God's love. And if you have it, you have to go give it away. You have to follow the Great Commission from Matthew 28. 
go and go and make disciples. And so many people are hurting. So many people have racist, hateful, hate hatred in their hearts. When the reality is, you know, some of the people in the in the hatred category of both uh, are all races could at some point be potentially roommates in a place called hell for mm-hmm. eternity. The very one that you hate could be your roommate for eternity. That won't be good. Mm. So that's what I like to do. Make sure that that doesn't happen. That none of us. He wished that Jesus said, God said, I wish that none should perish. That everybody should come into the knowledge of the truth. Everybody should surpass uh, the consequences of sin and death. That's my life dream. Amen. <laughs> well, listen, I want to take the time to thank you for doing this. It's truly been an honor. It's truly been a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Um, everything you've accomplished on the field, I congratulate you. But even more off the field, I congratulate you because you have a beautiful family. You've got a beautiful marriage that's lasted 38 years. So no matter what you do on the field, it's off the field that's what's going to continue to carry your legacy further. So I appreciate everything you've done for the community, and I'm sure your family love you and appreciate everything you did for them. All right, James. I wish you the best, too, man. We'll be in touch sometime, too, man. Maybe we'll grab lunch. Oh, definitely, definitely. I'd be honored. All right, man. Be blessed. You, too. I want to take the time to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. I truly appreciate your support. You can follow me on Instagram at conversations underscore with underscore Lent. My Facebook is also Conversations with Lent. You can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Again, thank you all for listening. Have a great day.